Hello and welcome to the Homeless World Cup podcast. I'm Adam Wilson. I'm Mariana Mercado. I'm Paul Highland. Join us as we discuss homelessness, the unifying power of sport, and look at what goes into making the Homeless World Cup tournament possible. Before we start the episode, I'd like to thank everyone who attended our virtual Homeless World Cup day on July 5th. The cancelling of the 18th Homeless World Cup in Finland this year saddened all involved, but we were very happy with how our virtual day went. If you missed it, you can see all of the segments on our YouTube page, including our Kipiapi Cup, our Rewind series, which saw some football legends like Mikhail Antonio, Nuno Gomes, Stefan Freund and Karen Carney giving their own commentary to some great past Homeless World Cup games, as well as our founder Mel Young talking to Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon and actor Michael Sheen about how to end homelessness. So go check that out. You can find all that if you just go to YouTube and type in Homeless World Cup. The COVID-19 pandemic has put tenants all over the world in a vulnerable position. In April, Scotland introduced an eviction ban for those affected by the crisis that could continue until March 2021. England and Wales implemented similar protections for renters in the summer months, however the bans ended in September. People in the UK have been losing their jobs across the income spectrum, placing many people in financial stress. We wanted to know more about the threats facing renters in the UK due to the pandemic. We spoke to Scottish Green Party housing spokesperson Andy Whiteman, who has been a vocal proponent of more robust protections for renters. We discuss why the eviction ban may be a misnomer, how real the threat is for renters, what protections are in place, and the need for a winter eviction ban. Okay, Andy, thanks very much for joining us today. Um, We've got quite a few listeners outside of the UK, um, so for them and maybe some UK listeners who aren't aware, what is the eviction ban and why is it needed? Could you give some context? Well, thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, well, first of all, there is no eviction uh, ban, but the obviously the context, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But the context for all of this, of course, is the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Now, everyone will know. Obviously, back in March, uh, the world essentially locked down, as did uh, the United Kingdom uh, and and Scotland, and we were all told to stay at home. Now, it, it is a it's obvious, therefore, that people need to feel secure in their home. So a lot of work was done to provide uh, accommodation for people who were rough sleeping. Um, and for people who rented uh, their homes, uh, a law was passed, which meant that for most eviction grounds, a landlord would have to give you six months notice. And that was designed to make sure that people couldn't be evicted at relatively short notice and find themselves in in um in, in, in great difficulties. So it wasn't a ban, it was um, an extension of the statutory notice periods. Now at the time, we argued that um, there should be, in fact, a ban. No one should be able to issue notices to leave except in extreme circumstances. And we also argued that we should suspend any existing eviction orders that had already been uh, uh, granted by the courts. Uh, but we are what we are. So what we've got at the moment is emergency legislation that started on the 7th of April is going to be extended um, at the end of September for another six months and means that uh, tenants, uh, there's some nuance around this, but by and large and for most uh, grounds for eviction, uh, the notice to leave is six months. I see. So would you, it's being reported as an eviction ban in the media. Would you say that's a bit of a misnomer? Yes, it, it, it is a misnomer because um, the 
it's not a ban. I mean, what, a, a ban implies that you cannot be evicted. Now, that's not mm -hmm. the case. Anyone who has had a, a notice to leave issued after the 7th of April, that notice to leave has to run, um, in, in the vast majority of cases, for six months. Okay. That means that come October, November, December, we will see people um, being served with eviction orders uh, as that six months runs out. And we already see uh, many eviction orders being granted by the, the tribunal, the housing tribunal, um, in the past couple of months, as it has opened up, because of course the court service, they shut down for, for two or three months. But they're opened up now, and they're, they're granting eviction orders to landlords who served notices to leave before the emergency period and who weren't caught by emergency regulations. So uh, it's not a ban. It is a, an extended notice period. I see. Thanks for specifying that. So, Andy, uh, Patrick Harvey, the co-leader of the Scottish Greens, he urged Nicola Sturgeon recently to look again at your proposal of a two-year rent freeze. Now, you were proposing that and a ban on evictions due to arrears from COVID. How would you see that working? Um, right. So we had a second emergency legislation in June, and I put forward a series of amendments to the Coronavirus Number 2 Act, which would strengthen rights for renters. Um, and as you say, one of them was a, a rent freeze for two years. That would give people a little bit of uh, confidence, at least that the rent wasn't going to go up. Uh, it would have introduced um, a, a ban on evicting people for arrears that were accrued because of the pandemic, and not because of arrears that were accrued for other reasons. But if you could show that it was accrued as a result of the pandemic, then you would not be allowed to be evicted. You'd still be due the rent, of course, you're, we're not writing off arrears, although I had an amendment also that provided that arrears could be written off in exceptional circumstances. Um, and, and the point here is just to give tenants, many of whom back in June and certainly now um, are in arrears, they've perhaps lost their job, they may have been furloughed, which is to say that they're, um, they've been sent home um, told not to work, can't work indeed, and the government is paying 80% of their salary, so they've got a 20% decline uh, in their income. Uh, and that furlough scheme, as it's known, that ends at the end of October. So you've got a lot of tenants who are facing quite significant financial hardship, and the priority here must be to keep people in their homes. That is the public policy imperative, and that's for their own mental well-being, but it's also... Uh, for reasons, obvious reasons of public health, and also because we don't want lots of people um, being rendered homeless in the midst of what still is a global pandemic. And you mentioned it just now, but the uh, the the threat of, I mean, people have already been affected by loss of earnings, but how real is the threat for, for renters? Because the, the National uh, Residential Landlords Association said, uh, it, they said it's not necessary, and they say 95% 95% of tenants have been paying rents, and that was reported by the BBC a month ago. Has that changed? Uh, I haven't seen figures for the numbers of people who are actually paying rent. I haven't mm -hmm. seen evidence of that. What we know from work the Joseph Rentree Foundation have been doing is that um, I think it's 42% of tenants right across the UK are in financial distress. 
so they're unable to pay at least one of their regular household costs. Um, and the anticipation is that this is going to get worse as the furlough scheme ends and the hundreds of thousands of people who are currently being paid 80% of their salary will be served with uh, redundancy notices. So um, it, it's clear, obviously, that many, many tenants and indeed very probably the majority, if not indeed the vast majority, um, are, are still able, maybe just, just um, to pay the rent. But that's not an argument against giving renters greater protection because giving renters greater protection is about giving them security in the medium to long term because people right across the UK and indeed across the world um, are now coming to the realisation that this pandemic is not going to be over any time soon, that the economic uh, crisis that it's precipitated um, is not over. Uh, the one thing that people would like security about is to the knowledge that they're going to be able to stay in their own home. And so that's what these measures are about. And the fact that many tenants right now are being are able to continue paying the rent is not an argument against putting in a framework that makes sure that no tenant should be evicted, except in exceptional circumstances, for the foreseeable future. Exceptional circumstances, do you mean uh, like antisocial behaviour and maybe uh, perpetrators of abuse and things like that? Because I, I wanted to clear something up. So the NRLA, like I, I mentioned previously, and the Scottish Association of Landlords, they've they've raised concerns about antisocial and victim uh, antisocial behaviour and victims of abuse um, being affected by the eviction uh, ban, we'll call it that for now. But local government authorities have said that police still have the powers to evict people. Um, is that that's in England, I think? But in in, in Scotland, do the police have those powers? Uh, well, there are various powers in place, and of course, the notice to leave period for antisocial behaviour is 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 not six months; um, it's uh, one month, I think. Um, so yes, I mean, in exceptional circumstances, I'm talking about um, persistent and serious antisocial behaviour. Um, obviously, domestic abuse. Um, there have to be there have to be circumstances where it is right and proper and proportionate to evict people who are willfully violating the law and causing uh, physical and mental uh, distress to their partners, their families, or or or, or neighbours. And that's that's just an important protection to put in place because we don't want to. By protecting the interests of the vast majority of tenants, we don't want to inadvertently um, uh, create the circumstances whereby perpetrators of antisocial behaviour or domestic abuse feel uh, at, at greater liberty to continue to perpetrate, perpetrate their, their wrongs. So, that, yes, that's that, those are the kind of circumstances that we do need the ability, and, and indeed we do have the ability um, to get to 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 evict those those tenants at short order. So would you say those aren't real concerns? Then that's not going to really be a problem. I, I don't think they are real concerns. No, there's no um, <clears throat> the the notice period for antisocial behaviour uh, is um, I, I think as it always was uh, you know a month, um, and the police yes do do have powers obviously in cases of 
domestic violence. So that's not a, that's not a legitimate concern. Recently, there's been the Discretionary Housing Payment Fund and the Tenant Hardship Loan Fund uh, being set up in, in Scotland. I was just wondering, how do these funds work and, and what's the difference? How, how do people apply for them? If you could clear that up. Yeah, so that's a good a good question. Obviously, um, people who are in uh, financially straitened circumstances uh, with low incomes, etc., can apply for uh, welfare payments, social security, it's called universal credit uh, in the UK, and associated with that are, are um, is, is is housing benefit to help pay uh, rent. So if you have lost your job, then you can apply for universal credit. You can uh, then get uh, housing benefit, and the Scottish Parliament legislated for discretionary housing payments, which are in effect a top up because we find in areas like Edinburgh, where I um, am, that the <clears throat> the average rent levels in, in the market are not are, are much, much higher than the housing benefit levels that are paid by government. So mm-hmm. there is a discretionary housing payment system which can top that up and it's run by local authorities and the government's put more money into that. So discretionary housing payments are a useful add-on to the existing universal credit and housing benefit system but they're only available to people who are on universal credit. And what we've found in the current pandemic is that people have been losing their jobs or having reduced incomes right across the income spectrum. Some people who've been in you know, average paying jobs or even well-paying jobs have found themselves with lower incomes um, or uh, you know, a two-income household might go down to a one-income household still have children to feed, rent to pay, and all the rest of it. So we've got a much, much wider range of people uh, who are facing a degree of financial stress. And that's where the Tenant Hardship Fund is designed to come in. And we we argued for that back in um, in June, <clears throat> um, but it wasn't, and the government didn't concede that until uh, just a few weeks ago. We don't know the details of it yet, but that is essentially a loan fund so it's an interest-free loan. Uh, the Welsh government introduced one. Uh, theirs was a one percent interest of up to five years, and what that enable will enable people to do, if they're not eligible for universal credit, is to apply for a loan for up to probably around five years um, to help them pay their uh, rent. Now we've yet to see the details of that, and of course, you know that's not a solution in and of itself because people will have to pay that loan back. Yeah. even though it's 0% interest. But it is one small part of a jigsaw that will enable people, hopefully, to stay in their home uh, over the next you know, year or two, where otherwise they might have fallen uh, into, into arrears. And I imagine that is the most important thing at the moment, is just keeping people in, in their homes. That, that's right. And um, you know, I've been arguing as well that along with a tenant hardship loan fund should come a, a legal obligation on the landlord not to evict for arrears because you could find a tenant um, struggling to pay the rent, possibly fallen into some modest arrears, getting a landlord, uh, getting a tenant hardship loan, beginning to pay that back. But maybe in six months, they're still technically in arrears and the landlord would, um, under the law, have the right to um, serve a notice to leave. Um, so I, I, I would like to see this fund where, where it's been... Uh, uh, entered into where the tenant has entered has, has got a loan. I'd like to see that a tripartite agreement 
that for the duration of that loan, uh, there is an agreed rental payment plan. And there's also an obligation <clears throat> entered into by the landlord that they will not evict for arrears. But that that hasn't been that hasn't been agreed yet. Surely it makes it makes more sense for um, the government to, to keep people in their homes as long as possible because of the potential um, the danger of a rise in cases if if mass evictions do happen. I mean, you you would that would ha- that would see people living in close proximity to to strangers in like temporary accommodation. No. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's been our principle um, all along since the beginning of the pandemic that. Um, <clears throat> Not only is it bad for people's mental health to face the prospects of perhaps being kicked out of your home, it's bad for their physical health, it's bad for public health, uh, and it's bad for public finances uh, as well, given that the costs of homelessness mm-hmm. will eventually fall on the public purse. And we have been, in Scotland, um, really quite successful, very successful in um, breaking down a lot of the kind of institutional barriers um, of third sector and local government uh, and other agencies working together uh, to provide uh, um, uh, accommodation for rough sleepers. You know, we've managed to reduce that to negligible levels. So, uh, and that that was because everyone agreed that everyone should have a, a roof over their their heads um, in general terms. Anyway, but certainly during. Um, a pandemic. So that argument applies to everybody. I mean, it applies to people who own their home as well, you know, that they um, they shouldn't be kicked out of their home because they follow to arrears with, 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 with mortgage payments. That That is the public health priority, is that people should be able to feel secure in their home um, for the duration of the pandemic. I mean, forever, actually. We want to see housing law reform more generally, but certainly in a pandemic. And please tell me if I'm if I'm wrong about this, but you've also called for a uh, for rent arrears, any rent arrears accrued during the pandemic to be wiped. Is is that practical possibility? Could that be implemented without any major hit to the housing sector? Well, we've only called and we lodged an amendment in in, in June to the coronavirus two uh, bill um, to provide a write off in exceptional circumstances, and I mean exceptional circumstances. Right. Um, it has unfortunately that that call has been misinterpreted, willfully misinterpreted. I, I know by by landlord interests um, <laughs> to suggest that no one needs to pay their pay their pay their rent. Um, but you know we do have circumstances where people are in serious arrears just due to COVID. So I'm, I'm talking about exceptional circumstances that are due to COVID. I mean we have a number of tenants, there are plenty of tenants who have been in arrears for perhaps several years. Um, and that's not due to COVID, um, and certainly they shouldn't be evicted, but I'm not suggesting that those arrears be be, be, be written written off, although it's always good practice, I think, for landlords in the private or the public sector to try and reach some agreed payment plan uh, on arrears because that helps sustain people in their tenancy. But mm-hmm. um, it would only be in exceptional circumstances um, uh, due, due, due to COVID. Okay, you've recently called for a winter eviction ban because the um, the housing tribunal is now processing requests for eviction. Is that right? Yes, I mean the housing tribunal in the private sector reopened for business in July, and there's over a hundred uh, as 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 of the late late, late September, uh, over a hundred uh, uh, eviction orders have been granted, and those people will have to be out within four weeks, or the 
messengers or arms, as we call them in Scotland, bailiffs in England, uh, can be requested to batter people's do doors down and, 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 and haul them out. So we're potentially going to see significant numbers of people being evicted over the winter months. So not only are we um, having evictions happening during a global pandemic uh, and an economic crisis, um, that will be compounded if people are put on the streets in winter. So we've called for a winter eviction ban. Um, and that wouldn't, that wouldn't involve um, changing the law in any way, although obviously we'd like that to happen. It would involve basically ordering the suspension of the effect of any order uh, until the end of winter. And this is quite common across Europe. France has a, a, a winter eviction ban. It's a routine. I mean, it's just, it's just in place all the time mm. on the basis that if you want to get rid of a tenant, then you do it at a time of year where the, where the, uh, where the weather and the climate is more uh, amenable. You don't do it in the midst of winter. So, yeah, we've called for that. Um, not sure where that's going. Um, although the UK government in England recently announced uh, a ban on evictions over Christmas and New Year. Um, and this is where this is a difficult topic for the public to understand because ministers can say that there's going to be an eviction ban over Christmas and the newspapers print that there will be an eviction ban over Christmas. But what you really need to ask yourself is, well, what is that eviction ban? What does it mean? How is it going to operate? And what we know about the, the English ban over Christmas is, is merely guidance to bailiffs, so the, the, the people who are authorised by courts to, to, to batter down people's doors and get them out their homes. Uh, guidance, and they already operate under you know, guidance in terms of how they discharge their, their functions, mm -hmm. but the guidance will invite them not to be battering people's doors down over Christmas, so it's not it's it's not uh, it's not a legally enforceable measure, and that's where it's really important to interrogate um, all these measures. As I you know indicated earlier, you know an eviction ban is what politicians call it. It's not an eviction ban. So there's no legality actually backing that up at all. It's just guides. Not in England. Not in England. No, no. And you know, I mean, I, I'm sure that the bailiffs. They will have a professional organisation. Um, they will they will abide by it. I've absolutely no doubt the vast majority uh, will, but there will be a minority that don't. I mean, if a landlord is in possession of an order from the court entitling them to evict tenants, they are perfectly entitled to instruct bailiffs in England or messengers arms in Scotland to carry out that order. Um, and I suppose the bailiffs of the messenger arms could say, well, excuse me, we're, we're not doing it over Christmas. And the landlord said, well, I instruct you to do it. And, you know, so there will be one or two cases perhaps where it's violated. But I have no doubt that, you know, th these people are, are professionals and they will uh, follow, follow guidance. But that's a, it, what I'm trying to say is it's a very, very weak form of regulation. And in England, of course, it, it, we're just talking about Christmas. I mean, I don't know what government means by Christmas. I guess it means 20th of December till the 5th of January or something like that. So it's a small period. So it's not the winter eviction ban that we're looking for, which would be a, um, a legal uh, 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 prohibition on anyone being uh, kicked out of their home over the winter period. Andy Whiteman, thanks very much for joining us. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.
thanks for listening to the episode. Uh, once again, if you'd like to donate, you can go to homelessworldcup.org forward slash donations. Or search for Homeless World Cup Foundation in Just Giving. Email us at podcast at homelessworldcup.org with things you'd like to hear discussed or get in touch with us on social media. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or give us a share online. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeless World Cup Foundation, presented by Paul Highland, Adam Wilson and Mariana Mercado. Produced by Adam Wilson and Paul Highland.